In this episode, we're answering your questions. We're covering whether to take advantage of first home buyer schemes, what info about your budget is okay to divulge to a real estate agent, and getting the most out of your mortgage broker, how to put a dollar value on a property, and how to know when you're overanalyzing. Whoa, we've got a lot going on. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. Come on the journey with us. We want you to become an educated home buyer so you can stop looking for your first home and actually become a proud homeowner. We will help you get to where you want to be without missing a step or making rookie mistakes. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode and if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, How to Buy Your First Home with the Right Amount of Debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're answering listener questions. Many of these things are common to all first home buyers. We love your questions. Thank you so much for sending them in. Uh, let's kick off with the first one, which is from Fab Megan. Do you want to read away? Let's go. One of the challenges I am facing regarding first home buyer schemes and whether I should take advantage of them or pay full stamp duty and go for a property with better returns in terms of long-term capital appreciation. Oh, wow. We've got a lot going on in there. Now, we're talking about a million-dollar borrowing capacity, living in Perth but willing to buy anywhere in the country to get the first home to properly set up the real estate journey. Now, he's a FIFO worker, can fly in and out from any capital city with no family commitment. Oh, my God, the world is Fab's oyster. Well, Australia is. <laughs> it's so, I know, it's like, all righty. It's almost like you got not enough choices or too many. And this Too is- many, maybe, Yeah. I think, you know, we've we've done an episode on the, the pros and cons of government grants. That's episode six, if you want to go back and listen to that. And obviously grants can be very tempting as it can feel like you're passing up on free money if you don't grab them. Um, but not all first home buyers will benefit from grants, particularly if they can afford to spend more than the capped amounts. And I think that's the issue here if you uh, if he's trying to keep under his threshold in order just to get um, access to a home loan deposit scheme and he doesn't need it, then 
just get on with, forget it, like just get on with life. And if you look at a million-dollar borrowing capacity, so million-dollar borrowing capacity plus deposit, that's a healthy budget. Uh, and, and it's probably going to be outside many of the, the grants and incentives. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we always advise you to aim for the best possible asset you can get and, and one that you will be able to own for longer. So I guess um, when you're trying to work out where to buy and what to buy, you know, that's that's a very, very common challenge, right? And and if you have an entire country to choose from, then you, I think a good starting point is really where you'd like to live. Like if you weren't working FIFO, like um, if it's Perth, great, but if it's not – I would be erring on the eastern side of the country for starters because that's where the majority of the population is. Yeah, and absolutely where the increase is in yeah, terms of population. Think, yeah. yeah, that's it. And you're thinking about long-term capital growth as well. You want to go where there's population and incomes and lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. So, look, you can argue about Perth, you can argue about Adelaide, you can argue about Hobart for all your life, but but the fundamentally the, you know, the majority of our population resides basically, well, basically half our population almost resides in the three cities of Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. Mm. Yep. Yep. And it's where people come to when they're looking to relocate, whether it's from overseas or from another city. So unless you're really wedded to Perth from a family history point of view or from a a, a work point of view, it is actually quite a small um, population base and it isn't necessarily a population base that is being pushed up through a variety of economic factors. So when we're talking about what pushes up prices, you know, the basics of capital growth, it's it's about that scarcity, but also the increase in demand or having that consistent push up of demand. Um, and if you've got people coming in consistently to the, you know, the East Coast where, where they're going at the moment and have been for, for a long time, I'd probably be looking more in those areas rather than trying to hotspot small areas or regional areas or anything like that, but look where the population population is putting pressure on limited um, properties that are available and can't be increased. So we always, you know, if we're looking at an investor, for instance, and certainly the way I advise investors in my business is that if you can afford to buy in a uh, an A-grade location in the sense that it's got long-term um, demonstrated potential to de- deliver capital growth, right? Now, not every suburb in Sydney will deliver that and not every asset, not every property in every good suburb will deliver that. So it's, and the same in Brisbane, the same in Melbourne. So it's a matter of choosing where you want to buy based on where you know that buyers will always want to buy regardless of un- uh, uh, market conditions, where there's always a demand for quality property and then learning what that quality property is. And so in Sydney, for argument's sake, if you're looking at a million-dollar budget plus deposit, you're going to be looking at an apartment if you want an A-grade asset, right? And in fact, you're almost not going to get one. Almost not. That's Sydney. Melbourne is more affordable than Sydney. You get more for your money, and so therefore you've got more options in Melbourne, but you may, may still be looking at strata. And then you look in Brisbane and in really good areas. In Brisbane, you can look at a house with that sort of money, right? in good areas, right? So it's about understanding what type of property you're going to get in in those sort of locations. What do you want to live in and where do you want to live? And then you can start to say, right, well, I'm going to focus my attention there. If you really want to be in a regional area, then that's do the similar thing, except for the fact you're saying that you'd fly and fly out from any capital city. That's that's where we, we'd be recommending 
So airports are important and flight part, the routines of the flights are really important if you're FIFO. You need to be able to get to where you're going without changing planes three times. Yes. <laughs> All right. Next question is from Chantal. I never know what to say or how to respond when I'm looking at a property at inspections and the agent asks me, what is my budget? If I'm vague, they end up sending me off-market properties that are out of my price range. But if I'm honest, am I giving all my cards away? This is I such- love this. That's such a good question because it's such a hard one. And what do, what do our parents tell us? And what are the what what are the people at the water cooler and the barbecue? I never us? tell the agent. Never, never tell the show agent. your hand. <laughs> Don't tell them. Jeez, how are you supposed to learn things if you're not sharing at least something? You know, it, it, people get really annoyed with agents for exactly what Chantel said. They send me stuff that I have no interest in. Well, you know what? It's probably because you haven't given them enough information. And all I can do is send you what they've got listed or off market. That's all they've got. That's what they've got to share. Well, they won't send you something you could afford because you didn't tell them that your budget would go up to that. So, what we recommend is you just tell them, I'm looking up to X. Be honest. Like, honestly, at the end of the day, when it comes to the point of negotiation, if you do your research properly, um, you know, and obviously we encourage you to do the your first home buyer course because then you will be fully informed and confident as to not only what that property is worth but how much you're prepared to pay for it, right? That That is worth its weight in gold. You will save so much money by knowing how to do that right? And it won't matter what you told the agent because you will know how to approach that um, negotiation. You'll know how to handle the agent, even if they do know what your maximum budget is. It's sort of separating the question from the answer, right? So the answer is how much you're off- you're offering. And that's a very different analytical process to go th- through. Than, and and you know, the sorts of things that you can say to the agent is you can actually have a property that's sold that was around your budget and say, look, I wasn't ready to purchase, but this is the type of property I would have purchased, but now I am in a position to purchase. So it kind of gives them something to anchor to and explains to them that you didn't buy it because you weren't quite ready. Finance, you could say, I I just hadn't quite got my finance approval through, but now I do. This is the kind of place I would have bought. And they'll look at that that price and they'll go, okay, we'll give or take a little bit. I can show her something in this kind of range. It doesn't necessarily give them an upper. It doesn't give you them a lower, but it kind of gives them something to work with to say, oh, okay, well, if I find that, would you buy it? You know, yeah, I would. You've and also now got to- you've got an anchor point. Yeah, and but you've also got to remember that they have a database and in that database is a little field that says budget. And or something equivalent. And they're going to put a number in that little field that says budget. And then every time they get a new listing, they're going to do a little search and they're going to shoot out an email to all the people that fit in the budget. So if you don't tell them what your budget is or you tell them too much or you tell them way low, then you're not going to get sent the right properties. That's basically as simple as it is. We're really open about it. So we have we have a list of clients that we're working with. We send out uh, um an EDM to agents every two weeks explaining what we're looking for, where we're looking for it, and what what sort of price range we're looking in. Now, it doesn't give the upper of the budget, but the agents are not going to come back to us and say, you know that $3 million bar, this $5 million property, don't waste my time. Like, I've, I've been pretty honest with you, but it doesn't mean that what we've given them as an indication is their upper or lower. 
it just gives them an idea. So being reasonably open about that um, without setting too much, you know, too, you know, the criteria can't be too short. You know, I've got uh, $1,252,000 to spend, probably a little bit too exact, but uh, you, you can point to things and go, that's the kind of thing, if that was available now, that's what I would have been happy to pay for that property. Um, it kind of helps them form a picture too. Because you also got to remember, the if if you're in an area that property's go to auction, the minute you go to auction and bid, well, they know what you're going to go up to anyway. So just cut to the chase. <laughs> Tell them. All right. This next question from Tim. My partner and I are currently looking for some help with the best way to negotiate across banks' brokers. We have a primary mortgage broker that we engaged and he has produced a loan document for us with three example products. We're keen to now compare across a range of institutions and products to see if these are, in fact, the best rates out there. Oh, I bang my head. <laughs> I know. This is slightly outside of our remit, i.e. that we are not mortgage brokers. We are not finance experts, but we do know the sorts of questions to ask your broker and we do know the things that you should refer to your broker and we know how to choose a good broker as well. And I think that's a very important Part of your process is choosing the right advisors. We do teach you how to do that in your first home buy guide, the course. The thing is, chasing the best rates isn't always the smartest thing to do. And so a good broker will have a much more well-rounded approach for you and make recommendations based on more than just the rate. The big picture. The big picture. The big picture, Veronica. There, there's often, you know, there's often the the fine print. There's there's some benefits of some loans, some banks, this that, whatever. Some banks will look at your income and say that is not going to be included, and others will. Exactly. So you could, you might end up spending a little bit higher rate on one bank, but you get to borrow more money with that bank, for example, and you have a better borrowing power. So there's there's lots of you know reasons why a broker will present to you a shortlist, right? So if you've chosen a good broker and they've presented you the shortlist, ask them the questions. Find out why those have been the banks that are recommended to you. To go then and try to go and screw for the best rate is really cutting yourself off at the pass. It is really chasing the wrong thing. And and so, you know, it's obviously part of the equation. You don't want to be paying more than you have to, but you need to understand all of those features and why the, the brokers recommend it. Now, if they can't explain that, if they can't articulate that, if you feel like they're not really, um, you know, got your best interest at heart and they're just trying to give you the easy sell or they've got better relationships with that, whatever, if you just feel that it's not really, um, you're not really getting the full picture, then that's a different kettle of fish. And we recommend going out there and getting a second or a third opinion. But I guess that the purpose of a broker is to actually do the work that you're suggesting that you want to do yourself. Yeah. So are you really entrusting the person to do their job as an expert or are you wanting to do their job for them? And some people just can't put that trust in somebody else to do that. And if that's the case, by all means, go out and do the job yourself. Don't ask a broker to put their time into doing that for you if you're then going to second-guess them and go and do the job for them because what you're going to end up doing is probably going straight to the bank yourself and and that's just kind of wasting everybody's time and it's 
actually really quite unfair to look at things that way. That's their job. Their job is to look at your situation, assess all the opportunities and make some recommendations. Your job is to say, okay, so what about this? What about that? Oh, okay, I get it now. I understand why that's the best option. all round option for me. If you were just chasing the best rates, you're not getting the most out of your broker. You're not getting the best out of a relationship with your broker. So we encourage you to put that as lower on your list of priorities there. If you do feel that you need to understand more about what brokers do, we've, we've interviewed four over the um, the last 18 months or so, and th- the links are in the show notes of those four episodes. So go back and listen to those and sort of get a real sense of what a good broker should be doing for you. If your broker doesn't sound somewhat similar to those brokers, then you might want to contact one of those um, for a second opinion. Yep. All right. Emily. Emily's biggest challenge as a first-time buyer is currently being able to put a dollar value on what each property we look at, including what we think it's worth. I think that's priced in the property. I might have not articulated that as well as she did. (laughs) I've done a lot of research in the market, looking at many past sales and creating spreadsheets for this data. Very well done, but don't know if I'm on the right track. My estimate for properties are quite general and not refined enough down to be specific. I want to be able to, oh, specifically, I want to be able to help me here, Veronica. Let me interpret. Uh, it is written a bit weird. Um, she has no clue about the process of going about making an offer and how formal it is. And so she's in Melbourne. Um, so, for example, what documentation is involved? Do I quite literally just contact the agent and say what I'm willing to pay for the property and why? And they need to, she wants to master, actually, I've stuffed up how I've set this up. And she wants to master this so that they can place the most accurate offers possible when they're in the position to start making offers. All right? Right. Okay, we got that. So can I pull out, we've got how do I get a bit narrower in my price assessment and how do you work out what's it worth, what should I pay for it, and then how do I structure my offer? That's sort of basically All question. Right. <laughs> And it's my fault for cutting and pasting the question and getting it a little bit out of order there. So apologies, That's everybody. right. We get there eventually. We do. <laughs> so now, I believe Emily's done the mini course, which is how to price a property. And I, I suspect that she does because of the way she's talking about using spreadsheets and, and collecting sold data and analysing past sales and, and the comparability and so forth. So awesome. That's great. We're going to make the assumption that you have because that mini course teaches you how to organize and sort the rep at the recent sales to get a clearer idea on value. But there's a heck of a lot of other stuff to learn. Um, and Veronica, this is where AVMs, you know, the automated valuations or the property reports that people get, this is where, you know, you've got to go so much deeper because you have to understand not only is it about those recent sales, it's actually about the superior and inferior aspects of those recent sales in a number of categories. Um, and if you can't refine that down because you haven't been through the properties yourself to know them at that more in-depth level, that's why you end up with this kind of bigger range because you can't find a ceiling and a floor, you know, the ceiling being the most close at the top Superior and the most property. close at the Inferior bottom. property. Yeah. Yes. So once you get that ceiling and the floor, then your range starts to get narrower. It is an art and it takes a lot of, you know, a lot of time and, and experience looking at properties and all the rest of it and you do start to get a clearer picture. Um, and 
Definitely once you start doing due diligence on a property, you might also uncover things that will impact the price. So you can price a property and go, well, you know, I'm looking at three bedroom houses and, and there's a whole bunch of them out there. And this one, the, 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 most, the closest better property that's better than this one is, you know, 900,000 and the, and the one, this one here is really close, but it's not as good and it's 820. So therefore it's somewhere between 820 and 900,000. And then you go and you get a building pest inspection, discover the whole place needs to be really stumped. And you go, hang on a minute, this one, you know, that's going to cost me, I don't know, $30,000 and it needs a new brief. All of a sudden that changes, um, you know, what you might be prepared to pay for that property. And likewise, um, you know, if you do your due diligence, which we teach you to do in the, your due, your module, guide. module seven, actually, that is the evaluation. We'll get to module nine in a minute. Um, but the evaluation is really important because, you know, you might discover you're in a flood zone and you go, oh, I didn't even know about that. Or how is that going to impact the price? Well, maybe I don't even want to go for it. Like what or type a flight of flood path. zone? Right, so flight paths are not things that you can easily see. You actually have to experience them to know if that's impacting a property. And it really can. It really can affect the value. And there's so, you know, so there's all these sort of things. You think, okay, right, well, as I go through this exercise, you know, is this close to perfect? So am I going to push myself or am I going to hold back because it does have these these issues that we need to worry about? Can they be overcome and what cost can they be overcome at? How much is it going to cost to fix it? Yeah, and these factor into what the price that you're prepared to pay. And so Emily's asking great questions about how to put an offer together. And and Migos are referring to Module 9. That is what we do teach you in your first home buy guide in Module 9. It's a process, like everything. You know, once you learn that process, it will help you be confident in submitting that offer um, and... Uh, and then give you a greater chance of, of success with that because the thing is everywhere has its different requirements. So you're in Melbourne, you can put in conditional offers in some areas in Melbourne, but other areas you can't. You've got to go to off auction. And it depends on the sale process. You know, the method of sale in, impacts what you can and can't do. Oh, and that is module six. So, <laughs> so these are all things and we're not being, you know, we, we might sound like we're being a bit flippant here, but this is why it is so important to learn this process so that you can approach it methodically and with confidence. So, so yes, you're right. You can put offers in with conditions under certain circumstances, depending on where you are and depending on what the method of sale is. But you also need to understand that you need to be ready to buy the property, you know, or ready to make that unconditional, right? And knowing that, and that the determinant for that is where you are in the rules. The rules are in place, right? So a lot of people make a huge mistake in that they make offers too fast. They make offers before they've really worked out what it's worth. They've made offers before they know whether the, it needs to be re-roofed and re-stumped. They make offers before they've checked the council, um, you know, for overlays and various things. And then they've got to try and backpedal. And to your point, though, Veronica, it depends which state you're in because in Queensland you do make the offer that is subject to finding some of these things out because they're not disclosed by the seller and you're not going to find that information out very quickly and without cost. So, again, it depends on which state you're in and, yeah. and that's really tough because in, in Victoria and New South Wales there's a lot more that has to be provided by the seller and it gives you so much more information to work with when you're formulating your offer. Whereas in Queensland, 
there isn't much to work with. You've just got the comparable sales and then you've got to uncover some of the warts um, and you have to renegotiate it. So that that's a you know, that's a whole nother process of renegotiating a conditional offer. And then how do you do it? So one of the things that you know, if you join the program and you and you purchase the course, which is your first home buyer guide, you know, if you're out and about looking at properties and you're starting to think, oh, I'm almost ready to put in offers, you sound like you'd be ready to join our weekly campfire which is our weekly live Q&A sessions where Megan and I can help guide you through those moments that matter. And how to structure our offer under different circumstances can mean the difference between buying it and missing out. So, you know, we want to give you access to our intel so that, that, you know, the average buyer won't have that. Now, you have an advantage. Yeah, and and yeah, a lot of times you try and get your information from the real estate agent because they're the person who is closest to the seller. So you are getting a lot of intel from the agent because you're uncovering a lot about the the seller's situation, their motivation, and, and and what might help might help get an offer across the line. But if it's an auction, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the seller's motivation is because you're actually up against other buyers. You're not actually working on on working with the seller's situation. So. The, the method of sale is, is, is incredibly impactful and this is what we love. You know, the questions that we get around the campfire every Wednesday are really quite unique because the situation is always unique. The, the agent's style is unique. The method of sale is unique. There's things about the property that we might go, oh, well, I'm not sure about that. You need to investigate that a little bit further or, um, you know, your comparable sales list is, is pretty big. There's a bit too much of a wide range investigate these things a little bit more so just that in that that depth of information that we can give to people around the campfire about individual properties just puts them so far above and and beyond the average buyer so that's another reason to bite the bullet and get to get the program right so your first home buyer guy that's what we're here for to teach you the process because nothing replaces the confidence you get when you follow that entire buying process, you get everything in the right order, okay? And that's what that course will teach you. And we're there every week to help, you know, the little nuances and the tweaks that you need along the way. Veronica, remember that episode we did? Uh, this is a good one. Go back to this one. Remember that episode we did, Crazy Things People Do When Making Offers? Oh, that's a good God. one to review. <laughs> yes, that was nuts. And it's fun. But, you know, you should definitely go back and listen to that episode. We're going to pull all those in the show notes so you can refer back to them. Um, we've got a final question, which is a bit of a long one. And I'm going to just, yeah, we'll pause. Oh, no, we won't pause. We'll just get stuck into it. So this is this is from Nick, and I'm going to paraphrase. Um, he and his partner have been actively looking for their first home for the last six months, but he has personally been keeping tabs on property for over three years, right? They're looking on the outer edges of, of um, Melbourne and they've been, you know, they've been looking in a number of uh, different suburbs and they've really been focusing on the, you know, looking for properties with A to C grade features, i.e. eliminating the ones that aren't A. That's what, that's the focus, right? So they've been absolute great students of the podcast and they've actually been working through the entire collection as well as the elephant in the room. So, you know, these people are doing a lot of research. They've got their team, so they've got conveyance, so they've got mortgage broker, they've even got real estate agents working on, you know, sending them listings. 
other source, sources of wisdom from friends, builders, tradies, architects, blah, blah, blah. So they've they built their, their support team. They've really been um, very um, method, methodical, if you like, about, about moving forward, which is great. But came close to making offers a number of times. This is when they get unmethodical. Done heaps of research, got close to making offers um, on a number of different types of properties. Here we go. Townhouses, renovations, heritage builds, all of varying grades. They've been to auctions as observ- as observers and participants with no luck yet. And they've walked away knowing, you know, some properties were A grade but on B grade streets and they've decided on what the property's worth, et cetera, et cetera. They've made judgments about other buyers who kept bidding and they were too egotistical and they were they were We've being all seen those. emotional. These guys have done the gamut, right? They decided they decided what, I mean, I'm paraphrasing this long question, right? They constantly remind themselves not to fall into having FOMO or FONGO, so they definitely have been listening to all episodes, and that leads to the biggest challenge. And I'm gonna, now I'm going to quote direct, right? Lack of supply in a fast-growing municipality. We are finding that either buyers are paying way too much, in our opinion, in brackets, or vendors expect too much. We feel well-equipped because of you guys, which is great, even though we haven't done your course yet. But we also feel like so many people are so ill-equipped that this squeezes us out. People who are happy to pay overs and or vendors asking just too much, maybe without realizing it. So you feel FOMO not because you're emotionally attached to anything, but in some ways because you aren't convinced that others have done their due diligence and are throwing cash irrationally, making what is already a small market even smaller. Maybe we are too analytical. Any advice on this? Yes, we do have some. If not, that's cool. You guys have offered heaps to us. Thank you very much. Right. Well, I got three words for you. Do the course. They're ready. Just seriously. They are course. You're ready. You are ready for this. Yeah, overanalyzers in particular, you know, love the framework, getting the steps in the right order. It'll help you to put things in perspective and absolutely crucially, you can access us weekly. That was a lot of information in a long email, which we appreciate. But well, we need to break that tackle, down. Like every auction they go to, they, they keep missing out because they've made their minds up. Other people are overpaying. And maybe they're right. Maybe they are. But the problem is a marketplace is not going to hang around waiting for you to work it out. And, it, <laughs> and the more you – overanalyzers are in danger of basically overthinking themselves out of buying a property. Do you now, remember we, Mike? Was it Mike, I know. the lawyer that was in that yep. better course? Reminded me of just Mike. A, he was a one-man war against the property market. Yep. And it wasn't until the light bulb switched on for him and went, it doesn't matter what I think, does it? Well, this is the thing it's because like- the fact is that the market will do what the market does. You can't control it, right? And you might look around and go, oh, my God, you idiots, fancy paying that. You're crazy. And all the while prices go up. Really you can't fight the market and you can't fight the fact that FOMO will drive things when there's shortage of supply and prices will go up. But this is what you can control. You can be the best informed buyer, not by overanalyzing and thinking you're smarter than everybody else, by actually being armed with the right information so that you will know when to take on the FOMO buyer 
and some tactics to outsmart them as well because you can and when to let the FOMO go by, buy it. There are some times when it's worthwhile paying a premium and and doing it and and getting into the market for the right type of property. There are times when it's worth doing that and there are times when you let that idiot overpay. How do you know the difference? And that's where that's where you need expert guidance because the problem is that when you don't know what you don't know, the accumulation of knowledge isn't giving you clarity. It's actually reinforcing for you that you don't know. And it also creates confusion. And and confusion is a large part of over- overanalyzing because you want to solve everything. And every time a new thing comes in that's confusing, you want an answer to it. And unfortunately, there's no exactness in in property buy, there is, when we talk about buying with your head and making sure you, you might start with your heart, but you make, your head makes your decisions for you, um, but you can let your head rule too much because you want to walk, walk away and think, I bought really well. There are times where you are going to buy fair. There are times as buyer's agents, Veronica and I walk away going, that was fair. It wasn't fabulous, but it was fair. Yeah. Because it was a good asset. It was scarce. It wasn't going to come up quickly again. The price was fair and the client is extraordinarily happy. And and I think that's the thing that we've got to keep a hold of. If you overanalyze and you keep thinking, oh, but I have to buy really well. Oh, but I have to, you know, it's this you're constantly chasing your tail on something that's never going to be well, it's never going to be perfect. We talk about being imperfectly perfect, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be perfect. But you're going to walk away potentially saying, "That was a fair price, and I'm happy." So the thing with the overthinking is that if you don't have the experience and the and the deep knowledge and the real insights to be able to to put all that into context, then it is a really really difficult place to be in because you're almost like you don't know what you don't know, but at the same time you know too much. <laughs> so so it's a really awkward, uncomfortable place to be. And so that's really our goal is to help you, yes, be the overthinker, be the overanalyzer, but here's what's important and that is not important. And by understanding the difference, what to focus your attention on, what not to focus your attention on, you won't get so caught up in the noise of what's going on in the market, the disbelief, your head swiveling around going, my God, what these what's idiots are doing. On? It, it, and, and you will buy smartly. You'll be a smart educated buyer if you follow the process. So I'm going to echo Megan's words, do the course. You are ready. Lovely. Now, that I hope that so, you know, the reason we do these Q&As is because often when someone asks a question, somebody else is really thinking and are wondering it as well, but just hasn't got around to actually asking it. So by all means, please take away from this what you will and what helps your situation get over to the website, have a look at what, what we've got there for you because if you let yourself become an educated home buyer, you will do this much better than if you try to go, try to go it alone. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first-home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode 
And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you've found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.